now to our narrators who uh, have been you know, uh, leading through that, and uh, they did a fantastic job uh, pulling that together for us, kind of bringing scripture alive for us. I'm just trying to see if any of them, is, is Boaz here anywhere? No. And people ask, who's this Boaz? Yeah, Mark, go to bed. He's a married man, okay, not single. Our Ruth is a, a single person, though, so she's, okay, she's up in the balcony. Thank you, Elena. Um, and uh, Bill, the main narrator, and then um, um, uh, Connie Givens uh, as, as Naomi. Anyway, so thank you for, for those who participated in that and editing, so thank you. So I have a, a minister, a friend of mine, he said, yeah, I saw that you're doing Ruth during, you're teaching Ruth during Advent. That's kind of an odd thing to do. I wasn't sure if it would really work, but I think it's been a fun journey studying this book of the Bible together. So, absolutely. Yeah, and Ruth is the backstory of the Christmas story. This is Jesus' ancestors. This is his family line. And, um, you know, the, the story culminates with the birth of a special baby in Bethlehem. And so there's a lot of parallels and certainly connected to the birth of Jesus. So, but also, Advent is a season of hope and anticipation. And that's been our theme for this, uh, for our study of, of Ruth, is hope, finding hope under the Bethlehem skies. And so we... We've been seeing hope in a lot of different ways. We first, the first week we saw hope in a terrible time. So this woman, Naomi, her husband died, her two sons died, and she's left with these, uh, her daughters-in-law. And just at a very tragic and sad and a grief-stricken part of her life. And yet, even then, God was providing for her through her daughter-in-law, Ruth, uh, in his, just sort of his quiet hand working behind the scenes, giving hope into this terrible situation. And then last week we saw hope on just kind of an ordinary day. We met a man named Boaz just going to work one day, and just because he was a man of character and just a good guy, he was providing for Ruth, who was working in his fields, and uh, we get to see his character, but also see what a blessing that was to this family, raising them up out of their poverty, uh, at least one step up out of that. And then, so today we're going to consider how hope can just kind of come in the middle of the night by surprise. Uh, Certainly for Boaz, he's just sitting there sleeping, and he wakes up, whoa, there's a woman, and she looks good and smells good. And like, whoa, that's kind of surprising. So we're calling this startling hope. We get a Boaz startled in the middle of the night here. So I don't know if you startle easily. I, I tend not to startle easily. If, you know, when, I'm not easily kind of spooked like that. I think it's mean to try to intentionally startle someone, to go up behind them and you know, say boo or poke them or something. I think that's gross but the, um, and mean. Uh, but... Um, I do have those dreams where you're, you're, uh, you're kind of walking and you trip over a tree root and you wake up, <gasps> but you're there in your bed, like you're falling in your dream, but like you just kind of catch yourself. That's kind of the most startled I'd get. You can psychoanalyze me later for that, but whatever. You have those same dreams too. You know what I'm talking about. When you're falling asleep and you kind of startle, okay. Um, and I also try not to be a startling person to others, except for one person in the church I just have a lot of trouble with, Penny, our property manager. I... I I, I try not to startle her, but she's always with a machine or a vacuum and making noise. And just this week it happened. I'm going down the stairs. There's Penny with this uh, big vacuum, and I know I had to go by her, and I'm, I know she's going to freak out. She can't see me. So I start whistling. So I'm, and I'm, I'm whistling by, and I'm trying to make noise. She can't hear me. Sure enough, she sees me. <gasps> she's startled. She's got, this, and she's got the big backpack. Thing. She almost falls over backwards. I'm like, Penny, I am so sorry. And the other thing, Penny's a martial arts expert. I also don't want her to kill me. 
So I'm like trying to make myself known so she doesn't use any of her moves on me. And it's just very dangerous working here at the church. So I want to look at this situation. This is kind of a strange passage of scripture. It's a little odd. It's a little odd to us today, you know, culturally a little removed. This was odd then. This was, this was an odd thing, a very bold thing that Naomi, this plan that Naomi concocted to, to bring Ruth and Boaz together. So it's strange for us. It was probably strange for them. But as we, as we look at this together, we're going to see a few things. We're going to see boldness of faith. We're going to see the wisdom of God being used. We're going to see goodness and love and integrity lived out. Um, and just all these things that flow from a life of faith. Those are things we want. We want to be a people who experience God, who experience his transforming power in a way that we live and operate with his wisdom and his goodness and with integrity and true goodness in our lives. So we wanna, we're going to look at that today. And it, whether it happens on a terrible day or an ordinary day or a surprising middle of the night, um, this, is, this is where we find, we find hope. Let's pray. So, Father God, we just pray your blessing over this time. Thank you for the joy of children, the joy of singing, the joy of the season. And we just pray that you'd fill us with your joy and fill us with your hope at this time as we peer into your word. We do expect you to teach us because you are a good God who desires to, um, to shape us and to grow us in our faith. We pray that this time, uh, to that end, Lord, that you would use this time. And we do pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so I want to look at three things. Naomi's plan, Boaz's reaction, and then our response to this whole thing. So what do we make of Naomi's plan? We're going to make some observations about this. Um, first of all, you'll notice that this is, a, um, this is a woman who's starting to show some real perseverance. Right? She's, lost, she's had terrible losses in her life. She's very poor. Um, but she's starting to become concerned about her daughter-in-law. Verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law... Naomi said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. So, so far, Ruth has been providing for Naomi. And now Naomi's saying, okay, the barley harvest is about over. Uh, You know, you need more. You need a family. You need need a life. And she's, she's got her focus off of herself and now onto Ruth. And grief can take time when to get to that place. Remember, when she first got back to Bethlehem, she, was, she said, you know, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. You know, God has been, you know, against me and everything is bad. And she's just so wallowing in her own grief. But here we see her starting to shift her eyes off herself. And she's found some hope and healing, even in the midst of the terrible grief. You know, um, it takes time for anyone. If you've experienced grief in your life, if you've lost a loved one or maybe just other losses in your life, it, it can take time to for God to heal that. And we don't know why God you know, calls us to, the, to this path of suffering in one way or another, but we know that on the other side of it, there can be blessing. Hebrews 10.36 says, You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So we need to persevere. It's part of our journey of trusting God because we know that if we persevere, that he will ultimately deliver us, that he will ultimately provide for us in every way. And so Naomi's starting to show signs of that. So we see hope there. We also see that this is a brilliant plan that she comes up with. And this is only, only a mother-in-law could do this. And uh, not to, like, this is kind of stereotypical mother-in-law meddling in her, you know, her family relationships and stuff. But, so I don't know if you know my story. So my mother-in-law 
she and I were actually good friends before I started dating Clancy. So, like, long before that, I was, uh, we would play cards together, and we would hang out. We worked at a summer camp together, and so I knew the family well. Clancy was this older, beautiful older sister who was, like, way out of my league in every way, and she was off in Ireland doing ministry, and we were, you know, the rest of the family was back home, and so she was sort of out of the picture. I mean, I, when we first worked together, Clancy and I, I was a sophomore in high school. She was already in college, so I mean, she, it was like she's living in a different world. And um, anyway, so I think my mother-in-law did a really good job, the best she could, to not meddle in our relationship as it was starting to, to form and to bud. And, and I think she, was, she, she did her best. Um, when I ended up asking their blessing, so my mother-in-law, Mama Jay, and Ken, my father-in-law, they, we were sitting together, and I said, I'd like to ask Clancy to marry me. I would like your blessing over this. And I was crying, and Ken was crying, and Mama Jay said, well, it's about time. You know, so... <laughs> Anyway, mother-in-laws can be uh, fantastic with this stuff. So anyway, this is a brilliant plan here. Boaz hasn't made any move on Ruth. Why? Well, there's a number of reasons. Well, one is maybe her age. He seems to be a good bit older than her. Why would he be interested? Why would she be interested in an older man? There's other young men, you know, whether they're, you know, rich or poor. You know, there's, there's guys her age who she could be interested in. There's also her emotional condition. Boaz is an upright guy. He's a good guy. This is a grieving widow. He's not about to put the moves on a grieving widow. She might be actually wearing widow clothing, which is a signal to say, I'm not available. And Boaz, a man of integrity, would respect that, respect her emotional state. And maybe he just doesn't see her like that. You know, not every man looks at every woman like a sexual object or some, someone to be conquered. There are good guys out there. Boaz, well, this is 3,000 years ago. But I declare to you today, in our world, there are still good guys out there. And I'm ta- talking to you single women that, you know, that not, not every guy is like that, you know, who's just after one thing. You know, he, that there are men of integrity out there. And these guys like Boaz who genuinely can have relationships with single women and not have that be inappropriate or have any kind of ulterior motives. Now, sometimes those relationships, you know, bud into something else, but that's kind of, that maybe he, that's just not his priority. Now, on Ruth's side of things, she also hasn't presented herself as available. And Naomi says, hey, Ruth, you know, maybe take a shower, you know, put on some perfume, get <laughs> cleaned up, you know, Ruth is, when Ruth is near Boaz, she's working. I mean, she's picking up, she's gleaning in the field. It's filthy work, and she's in her work. She's either in widow clothes or work clothes, but she's dirty and kind of frumpy. And Naomi's like, you know, you could, you know, let's do something here. So get your best clothes, get, get it cleaned up, and, and you're going to go out and meet him at nighttime. So Naomi's a local in this town, and she knows that this is when, when, that she'll have an opportunity to be alone with Boaz after the winnowing of the barley. So the winnowing of the barley, basically you harvest the barley stalks, you thresh them, which is beating the stalks out on the threshing floor, and then you have all the kernels. And then when the time is right, you need to separate the kernel from the husk on the kernel. So you take a big fork and you throw the kernels up in the air and they drop back down, and the husks, the chaff just kind of blows away in the breeze. 
So you lift it, you throw it, and there's this process of just tossing the grain to get the husk off it. The reason they did this at nighttime in Bethlehem is because it's cooler at nighttime, and there's more of a breeze. So in that part of the world, it's common for the men to go out at nighttime, and this is the last step in the barley harvest. Then you have your finished product, which you can mill, or you could uh, malt, or you do different things with, with barley grains. So, so Naomi knows they're going to be out doing this. Now, this kind of end-of-season work task for men then, and I think it sometimes happens today, you would do all the work, but then you have a little party too. You have a meal, you have some drinks. You know, it's like season-ending or season-beginning tasks. For example, if you've ever lived near a lake, taking out the docks. It's like all the neighbors come over, help you take out the docks. And you take out the docks and you take pictures. But then you have a meal and you have a drink and you, you, you celebrate sort of the end of the lake season. Or if, you're, uh, if you have a friend who helps you stack wood, you know, you split wood, stack wood. It's very satisfying work. You're getting ready for the winter. And then you say, let's have a, you know, let's have a meal. Let's have a beverage. If you help a friend move a heavy couch up a flight of stairs... And then, you know, then you say, I'm going to sit on this couch, <laughs> you know, because I moved it. And you're going to, you know, I'm going to have a beverage and a piece of pizza or something to enjoy that. That's, that's the kind of thing that's going on here. We're going to work hard. We're going to finish the harvest. And we're going to um, have some drinks. And so, uh, they, and then they would sleep right there with the grain. Why? Well, not because they've drank so much, but because they're, not because they're exhausted, although they probably were. Because you have this finished grain. It would be very easy to steal it at that point. Or an animal could come and eat it. So once you've done all this work, you stay with the grain till the next day till you have time to put it in sacks or you put it in whatever containers to store it for the season. So she said, look, you're going to go. He's going to be sleeping out there. So when he's alone, that's your opportunity to, to go and wake him up gently. This is quite a plan. This is amazing risk. Because what's about to happen could be so easily misunderstood and misinterpreted by Boaz or by anybody who might see Ruth doing this. Um, you know, a young woman at nighttime approaching a man. I mean, this is, um, you can see how this is kind of a charged situation. But what we, what we remember here is that faith makes us bold. People who trust God and people who operate in faith tend to act boldly in their life. They're bold in conversations. They're bold in their actions. They're, they become bold. Even if you are, tend to be more of a timid person, uh, we, we remember the words of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. People of faith, because we have hope in God, it, it does lead to a certain courage and boldness. Or as Scripture also says, God didn't give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of, of power and of love and of self-discipline. And we can live our lives making bold decisions and taking risks like this. And here's Naomi's plan. So now let's consider Boaz's reaction to this plan. So Boaz, uh, he's finished the winnowing the, the barley. He's, uh, he's had food and drink, and he's satisfied, and he lies down. He falls asleep, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, ah, ah, there's a woman at his feet. When you're trying to sleep, and somebody pulls the covers off your feet, it's very hard to stay asleep. <laughs> Trust me. If somebody's pulling blankets, you can't sleep. Um, 
And then what happens, though, this is all very... um, The language that the author is using is... The author is trying to show us that this could head a certain direction. Um, Uses phrases like lying down, which in Hebrew could mean like lying down to sleep with someone. Feet, uncovering someone's feet. Feet in Hebrew can also be a euphemism for private parts. Um, Threshing floors in general where this was happening, were notorious for promiscuity, prostitution, things like that. Why? Because you have men who are sleeping away from the house at night, and there's food and drink, and that's a place where those kind of things were notoriously what happened. And so some scholars say, actually, that is what happened here. You know, Naomi basically told Ruth how to go do this, and then Boaz would then, you know, he'll tell you what to do, he'll know... He'll know how to make this happen, and that they actually did have a sexual encounter at this thing. But I don't believe that's true. And I, because I, I see, I actually think the author is showing us how that so could have easily happened, but shows the restraint of these two people for that to not happen. Because look at what she ends up, she ends up proposing marriage to Boaz. So in verse 9, Boaz says, who are you? And she says, uh, it's Ruth, will you marry me? <laughs> Essentially. She says, I'm your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are the guardian redeemer of our family. Spread your garment over me or the wing of your garment. That is a very clear and common way to talk about marriage. She's saying, I want you to marry me. And she's presenting herself to him as marriageable. <clears throat> um, now, Naomi didn't tell her to do that. So why did she, maybe she just got nervous um, she wanted him to be clear of her intention. You know, I'm, I'm not here to just take a role in the grain pile, you know. Uh, uh, will you marry me? You know, she just kind of came out. Um, I, I don't know exactly why she was so bold to make it so clear that she was looking for marriage um, and not just one night on the threshing floor. But it, if you think about it, Boaz could not have proposed to her. He knew that. But she did not know that. He could not have proposed to her because there was another family member who had a a closer relationship and a closer responsibility to take Ruth in. And Boaz knows that. So it would have been very inappropriate for Boaz, the man of character, to make that kind of thing. But for Ruth, she just did that. And he says, yes. And again, this amazing integrity on Boaz's part. And he praises her for her kindness. And for what she's done, for her action. He calls her a noble woman. He said, you know, everybody in this town knows that you are a woman of character. He, he would not have said that if she was just there for kind of a one-time encounter. He said, everybody, everybody in this town knows you're a woman of character. Why? Because she was the lowest of the low, and she didn't associate herself with all these important people, or um, she didn't try to make a name for herself. She just worked really hard to care for somebody in need. And other people saw it, and they admired it, and everybody knew that she was a woman of standing. And, and so it was just this kindness. In verse 10, you know, your, your kindness is greater than even what you showed earlier. You know, kindness to Boaz, because she's not chasing after younger men. She's actually willing to be married to him. But, but also kindness to Naomi, because this, this union would shore up their, their life and their protection, and their, their future. Um, 
But again, Boaz, so much integrity. He's honest with her. He said, hey, um, I actually can't say yes today. I need to sort some things out, which we'll look at next week. He protects her and her reputation. He, He said, lie here tonight so that you'll be safe. Also leave before anybody else comes. I don't want anybody to know that there was a woman here. Because if a young woman is at the threshing floor all night and then they see her, they'll have a certain opinion about that. He wants to make sure that's not the case. And then he feeds her. He says, before you go, here's six measures of barley. Take this back to Naomi. I, want, I don't want her to be empty-handed either. Integrity, generosity, every step of the way, even in this sort of potentially compromising situation, startling situation. So how do we respond to this? Two things. One, we need to consider, as people of faith, how are we going to respond in situations that we find ourselves in that are potentially compromising? In this case, it was sort of sexual temptation, but for you it could be money, it could be temptation to lie, it could be a temptation to cheat, it could be a temptation on a lot of levels. We all face temptation. That's the reality of life. And yet God is faithful to us in that temptation to provide us a way out. And as we trust God and as we seek his will, he gives us strength to overcome temptation. Not because we're so moral or we're so strong or we're so good. It's because he's at work in our hearts. And particularly, I think, about sexual temptation here, because that's sort of the scene that we're looking at. We, as people of faith, believe that God has designed human sexuality for good purposes, for, that God has um, designed that specifically. But sometimes we have desires that are outside of God's bounds for that. And we are, you know, even especially at this service, we're a younger uh, congregation, and these are issues that many wrestle with. And I know many young people are asking The Lord, Lord, how do I honor you with my body? How do I honor you with my desires? How do I trust you in those things? Particularly if I feel like I have desires that are out of of line in some way. And, And again, we all fall short in different ways that we're tempted. And yet God's grace is sufficient to to forgive us and to bring us back and to put us on his path. And it's all about the work of God's Spirit, producing fruit and genuine goodness as we wrestle with the temptation and the sin in our lives. The second thing, in terms of our response to this, or how we take Ruth chapter 3 home with us, I guess, is this notion of when do I take bold action and when do I just wait and be patient for what God's doing? Here, we have a, a young, unmarried woman, a widow, you know, but this is a bold action. She just, you know, her mother-in-law gives her the plan and she just goes for it. And, you know, there's that balance of what, what, should I take a bold action or should I just kind of wait? You know, what, maybe if, so maybe if you're single, you say, should I just wait for God to bring someone in my life or do I sort of actively make an online profile and subscribe to a Christian dating service or that kind of thing? And we see people who do that with disastrous results. And then we see people who do that and we do the wedding right here. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And we see people who just kind of wait and see what God does. And sometimes that works out fantastic and God brings a person in. And sometimes nothing happens. And 
it's hard to know, well, when do I act? And it's not just in those settings, but um, all kinds of times in life we, we face this kind of decision. If you're unemployed, how much do I just wait for an opportunity and how much do I really pursue specific opportunities? Or making a decision about health, or if you're, you know, we think about people who are elderly, you know, how aggressive are we with medical treatment, or how much do we just wait and just trust God in the, you know, aging and as people approach even the end of life? These are all very difficult decisions, but the answer is the same. We abide in Christ. We, we rest in our relationship with Jesus. We seek him through his word through fellowship with other believers. And we, we seek to be in tune with his spirit as his spirit guides us so that if it's time to wait or if it's time to act, that, that prompting is coming from the very spirit of God. It, it's not easy to know. But God is good. And he forms this kind of faith in us. So it's all about our connection to Jesus. And we think, to, for us to... So think about Boaz was... Ruth's guardian redeemer. And we're going to consider that concept more next week. But Ruth is, Boaz is the redeemer. For us, our redeemer is Jesus. And for us to receive the blessings of, of that redemption, we have to fall at his feet. Not like Ruth did it in the middle of the night, but figuratively, at the feet of Jesus. Or quite literally, actually, Jesus was at the home of these two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Martha was busy uh, hosting the people at the house and doing all this work. Mary was just sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha said, Jesus, you tell her to help me. I'm doing all the work around here. And he said, no, she's at my feet. She's with me. She's doing what is better. And for all of us, the time that we spend with Jesus is, is better. It is good. As we try to navigate these big decisions and uh, taking action in our lives, it's about being at the feet of Jesus and receiving from him his grace and receiving his his very spirit to guide us. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would be a people who genuinely trust you, who are connected to you so vitally, that you would give us boldness when we need it, but that you would give us patience when we need it, or that you would give us strength to overcome temptation when we need it. And we do need it, Lord, every one of us. We just pray that you continue to do your work in our lives, Lord and that you might be glorified in that. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.